when I committed myself to preaching through the book of Habakkuk, I will admit to you that I was not thinking of the passage that you heard Anna read earlier when I thought of this book. I thought very fondly of the verses that end this book and the hope that Habakkuk has. And I thought, this is going to work well with the book of 1 John. And this is going to work well with where we've come from in Jude and in celebrating the confidence that we can have in God, that we can have joy in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow. Habakkuk gives us an incredible amount of hope. And yet in the midst of this, we have a passage that you and I barely even want to read because we struggle to believe that God would inspire a word of judgment like this. Yet I want to say this morning, who are you and I to tell the Lord what's right and wrong? As we've just sang, God is the one who is holy. And we sang a song from Revelation that comes from the the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. Chris read a couple verses from it, but before I, I preached from Habakkuk this morning, I want to actually point out the context that that song comes from in Revelation chapter 5. So if you want to turn there with me, we'll be here for just a minute or two. As you probably know, the book of Revelation describes God's final judgment on the world. It's the time when all the cries of people like Habakkuk are finally answered, and God says, enough is enough. And yet, as I read through it last year, towards the end of the year, I was struck by something that I'd never seen before. And that is that almost every other chapter of the book of Revelation describes God's grace and God's just judgment. And it's not that the two are separate. It's that the two are a theme that go back and forth, back and forth from beginning to end. And the passage that we sang this morning from Revelation 5, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. That's the new song that people sing in that chapter. The scroll that it's talking about many people think, is the deed to the earth. And as you read through Revelation, it's sealed with a series of seven seals. So you you know how we seal an envelope with wax. Well, a scroll would be sealed at different points as it was rolled up, so that as you unrolled it, you broke more and more seals. And the Lamb is the one who is worthy to open that scroll. Why? Because verse 9 says, You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Because Jesus was slain for us, because he poured out his blood for us, because he loves us so much that he gave himself for us, he has the authority as the Son of God to exercise God's divine judgment. And so this scroll as it's opened throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, pours out God's judgment on the earth. And we love to sing to the Lamb and praise the Lamb that He died for us. But that Lamb 
is the same God who in Habakkuk is describing the judgment that he's going to pour out on the Babylonians. And my prayer today is that from this message, you and I will remember the gospel. The good news that we were deserving of God's punishment and judgment. And yet by God's grace and mercy, Jesus Christ took that for us. And if you grasp the joy of that, it will lead you to live a life of constant grace and obedience towards other people. That's why we saw in 1 John that we are commanded to love one another, which flows out of the command to love God. The two are two sides of the same coin. And so this morning, as we remember that this lamb who was slain is our Savior, we need to also recognize that part of the gospel is that God saves us from his wrath. And that's part of what we're going to see in Habakkuk this morning. If you want to turn there this morning, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a blue one under the seat in front of you, a little blue Bible, and you can turn to page 663, and we'll be in Habakkuk for the remainder of this message. Habakkuk has cried out to God at a time when it seemed that wicked was was prospering, And it seemed like many of God's promises were not being fulfilled. And Habakkuk, in the beginning of the book, asks God in distress, how long will wicked people prosper? And God replies to Habakkuk and says, I am sending the Babylonians to judge the wickedness that's in Judah. And Habakkuk is horrified and replies to God and says, God, how can you use a people more wicked than us to judge our sins? By comparison, our sins are not that bad. You are holy. You are righteous. How will you do this? And last week we saw God's assurance. He says the righteous will live by faith. Those who are righteous. And we talked about how Paul in Romans describes that the righteous are not people that are just good. They're people that come to God and trust in his promises and experience forgiveness. Ultimately because of what Jesus has done for us. Habakkuk didn't know all those details, but he knew what he needed to know. God assured him the righteous will live by faith. And then in Hebrews, we also said, this is not just something that you believe and then you check this little box and you can move on with your life, you're good. Hebrews describes the righteous will live by faith. That that is a lifetime commitment. And the metaphors that John used of abiding in Jesus Christ Talk about an entire life of obedience that if the gospel has gripped your heart, you will automatically grow in obedience to the Lord. And so the righteous will live by faith is not just how you're saved, but it's how you live because you are saved. And that's the promise that Habakkuk gets. And then God gives him the rest of the answer to that prayer. He's addressed Habakkuk. He said, okay, you are a righteous person because of your faith. I am assuring you that you will live. I'm not saying you're going to avoid the judgment, but I'm saying that you can live in the midst of it. And now he turns and addresses the Babylonians. And he vindicates his character. He says, I am a righteous God. You're absolutely right. It's not right for them to sin without punishment. Here's how they're going to be punished. This morning, we're actually, I I had Anna read all the way through verse 20. This morning, we're actually only going to go through verse 14. And we're going to see three specific sins that God describes that are going to bring condemnation on the Babylonians. 
But this morning, I believe it would be a mistake for us to read these and look and say, oh, God's pouring out his judgment on those people. And not take a moment and look at our own hearts and remember that God justly would have poured out his judgment on us apart from Christ. And I want to drive you to the gospel again and again. Because even if you're a believer this morning, growing in obedience is still dependent on remembering the gospel that saved you. And remembering the gospel should motivate you to be more and more like Christ. When God saves us, he doesn't make us just like Jesus in just a moment. He, through his divine wisdom, has made sanctification a process. He's made holiness a process. And so my prayer this morning is that as we look at this, we will hear God's word speak to our hearts. And at the end of it, we will again remember the truth of the gospel. We will celebrate communion as we remember that Jesus died for us. And then we will be inspired to walk in obedience because of what Jesus has done for us. So let's look at the three condemnations this morning in Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to see three of them. I'll tell you them briefly, and then we'll go through them one by one. The first is taking what doesn't belong to you. Taking what doesn't belong to you. The second is cutting yourself off from other people. Cutting yourself off from other people. I'll say more about this in just a moment, but the motivation for it is you're trying to secure your own prosperity. Step one is you took something that didn't belong to you. Step two is you try and keep it your own. And then the third condemnation is building a town on blood. Building a town on blood. Building your own success off of the violence of taking something from someone else. So let's begin, and we're going to see in verses 6 through 8, taking what doesn't belong to you. Habakkuk says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him? And the him here is the king of Babylon, but really it represents all of the Babylonians. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations... All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities, and all who dwell in them. Throughout all of these verses, the idea that judgment is in perfect proportion to sin is a constant reminder. God never judges someone beyond what they sin. We may question his judgment, but it is always just. And this first condemnation describes taking something that isn't yours. And in Habakkuk's day, that meant that armies marched against cities. It meant that they slaughtered people. It meant that they carried off valuable things from every city they destroyed. And in Jerusalem, they carried off the gold and the silver from the temple. They carried off people and and put them into forced labor and took captives. They levied high taxes on the nations they crushed. So any survivors had to pay tribute to the country that now controlled them. God says this is unjust. And from our standpoint today, it would be easy to say, well, there's nothing remotely like that in my life. I'm good. I thought sort of briefly, maybe longer than I should have, about the problem that we do have in America with with predatory lending, payday loans, 
People that can't make it from paycheck to paycheck go take out a loan with really high interest rate and end up losing everything they own. And it's a story that's more common than I think we want to realize. There's a a piece of that here. But the reality is, I don't think there are any loan sharks here today. If there are, you should take this passage to heart and it should terrify you. But in reality, we're not so barbaric as to force people to give us things. You, You and I, speaking personally. What motivates us is really a desire for things that we can't afford. The reason people get in trouble with predatory loans is because they buy things that they can't pay for. And so the greed that motivates Babylon to violence motivates us to something far more subtle. It motivates us to just pay for something that we shouldn't own. Whether it's as, as Lauren and I are going to do probably in the next year or two, as we start to look at a house, whether it's buying a larger house than you should own, or whether it's buying a car that you shouldn't own, or whether it's just something as simple as downloading some music that you shouldn't own. All of those things are motivated by a feeling that I deserve this. This should be mine. I can go ahead and take it. And so I would urge you this morning, don't be so quick to dismiss this passage. Your greed will destroy you just like it destroyed the Babylonians. And in Habakkuk, God says, there will come a day when the oppressed will rise and crush the oppressor. And this is the means that God chooses to bring justice on the Babylonians. But this is, this is proverbial, and God doesn't always use the same method for justice. Although I will say that if you get in debt, Chase Bank has not, not got your best interest at heart. There will come a time when your creditors will come for the things that you own. But the truth is, oppressors will all one day find themselves oppressed. That this passage serves as a warning whether the greed motivates you to lend someone who shouldn't be borrowing or to borrow from something that you shouldn't be buying. God condemns greed at the, at the heart level. It lets us know that we're not satisfied with what he's given us. And it's a sin against God. That sin leads to the second woe, where after Babylon has made the conquest, then they reinforce their own strength. So you can read about this here. We'll look at verses 9 all the way down through verse 11. Let's read it together. Habakkuk writes, as he records God's reply, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. The idea here is that in building your own empire, whether it's a physical house or whether it's a city like the Babylonians built, You have tried to preserve for yourself and for your family something that shouldn't have been yours in the first place. And so what you build ultimately is a testimony to your own sin, and God says it's not going to stand. In Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar expanded the defenses of the city. You could actually drive a chariot on top of the walls that surrounded Babylon. They prided themselves in their strength and their security, and they paid for it by exploiting the people that they conquered. In our own day, 
I believe that this is actually a sin all of us, myself included, are tempted with. As we try and put our families first, often to the exclusion of generosity to other people. And I will say, there is a place, as a man, I need to provide for my family, and there is a place where you should do that. But ultimately, the biblical reason for hard work and for earning good money is generosity. When Paul writes that those who do not work should not eat, but you should work hard, the reason he says you should work hard is so that you are able to give to other people. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to look at your own finances, look at your own house and say, am I building myself up? Am I hoping to pass down this little house or this little empire to my kids? Or am I working so that because I have received God's grace, I can quickly and easily give it to other people? And I want to make this even more personal today because part of what motivates Babylon to do this, if you look Look again at verse 10. It says, you have devised shame for your house. How? By cutting off many peoples. By cutting off many peoples. It means that those they should have had compassion on and helped, instead, they shut them out. And as I was reading this passage, I thought, there are things that I should say here that I don't really want to say. And there are things that this says to my heart that I don't really want to hear. And I attended a conference this past week And I was reminded again of the importance of dealing with racial relations in the church. And this might seem like a stretch. You might look at Habakkuk and say, that's not there. But I think it is there. And I'll explain why. 56 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King said that 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. And over 50 years later, we have barely improved. Statistically, they said that 96% of churches in his day were organized, whether intentionally or accidentally, based on ethnicity. So if you were white, you went to a white church. If you were black, you went to a black church. Today, by the grace of God, we have improved by about 10%, which is an embarrassment and an indictment. You might say, we're not that diverse of a community. But I would say two things. Number one, we are probably more diverse than is reflected here. And number two, even if we are not a diverse community, for the sake of missions, we need to address this in my heart and in your heart. Because my prayer is that God is going to send missionaries from our church all around the world as he's done in past generations. And if a little white kid from Holly shows up in Africa and he's never thought about race, He's going to be dealing with something on the mission field that should have been dealt in his home church. And so my prayer is today that we will recognize this is an issue for you and this is an issue for me. That some of the the protectionism for our own families has caused us to shut out people who have cried out in distress. And when we hear people talk about discrimination and when we hear people saying that they're suffering, we are very quick to say it's not that bad. That's actually really fair. You should be suffering. And we dismiss their claims and demonstrate a real lack of love for them. As I prepared for this message, I reached out to a professor that I had in Chicago. He's a a black man. His name is Dr. Walker. He teaches philosophy. And I, 
I'll be real honest. He's probably going to listen to this message. I'm going to say this right now. I don't always see eye to eye with him on everything, either in philosophy or in politics. But I reached out to him and I said, you know what? This is an issue in my heart that I have not dealt with. What would you say to me? And what would you say that I should say to my church? And he said a couple of things that I want to almost quote word for word here. He said, racism is not binary. It's not a yes or a no. It's not either you're a racist or you're not. Being a racist is not about hatred. It's often about indifference, fear, and a sense that the other person is inferior. And the second thing he said, many times whites seem more interested in proving that racism does not exist or that it also exists against whites. So this is a tribalistic way of thinking, and there is no place for this in the church. When your brother is suffering, you don't look for ways to prove to him that he's responsible for his own problems. You come along and seek a plan B to the problem he faces, even if you disagree with how he sees the matter. You are responsible to love him, even if you believe he's responsible for the situation he's in. And I believe too often we have dismissed people in terrible situations because we've said they brought it on themselves. And I believe that he's right. And I want to add that as I read his emails and his messages, I constantly found myself feeling defensive and wanting to explain and justify myself and really all white people and say, you know, I know lots of white people that aren't like that. But as soon as we begin that game of self-justification, we show that we feel guilty. And brothers and sisters, I believe that there is sin there that needs to be repented of, forsaken, and a lifestyle that needs to change. And I want to even make this even more personal. I want to give you a specific example. And I will say this as someone, you know, I've worked in a lot of different fields in a lot of different areas here in Michigan, in Chicago. And I've worked with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. I have been blessed in places that are truly racially diverse, and we have celebrated our differences, and I praise God for that. And at the same time, let me say this. When I see someone who looks like they're from South America, one of the first things I wonder about is, are they here legally? And I begin to wonder, are, are they working in a job that maybe somebody who's a citizen should have? And I feel like they've taken something from me, even though I don't know them. And I'm judging them entirely on the basis of appearance. Now, let me be clear. Romans 13 says we should honor governing authorities. I am not justifying any law breaking. But what I am saying is this. The heart attitude that judges someone on the basis of how they look is wrong. It is sin and it needs to be repented of and forsaken. And part of forsaken is not just asking the Lord for forgiveness, but seeking greater fellowship with my brothers and sisters who look differently from me. We read in Revelation how Jesus has called people from every tribe and nation and tongue, and we celebrate that. But do we pursue it here in the church now? So I believe as, as we look at this and talk about how Babylon sinfully set themselves securely, I believe part of what kept the church segregated is the fact that we, myself, look to our own interests before we look to the interests of Jesus who wants a diverse church. And I believe that we need to change that. The last thing that this text deals with 
you can read in, in verses 12 through 14. Habakkuk says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This last thing, establishing a town with blood. And I believe you find the same theme running through it. Greed motivates people to take things that should not belong to them. I believe the heart that that should move us towards racial reconciliation should also move us towards loving our Native American brothers and sisters. Has the church sought to reach them? Do we have a heart for people who lost lands that they lived on and off of as our country was founded? These are heavy things. But if we believe the gospel and the Great Commission, we have to deal with them. And our heart needs to stop self-justifying our own personal history and say, all of us, all of us are sinners. All of us come to the Lord in grace. And all of us are now his people. One of the other perceptive things I think Dr. Walker said is, we have no problem recognizing that we are sinners. But as soon as you talk about a specific sin, we start saying, oh, I'm, I'm good with that one. I, that's actually not my sin. And I want to suggest, maybe there are a couple people that, that don't wrestle with this as much. But I want to suggest, more of us do than we would like to admit. He talked about he had been discriminated against by fellow black people who looked at him and assumed that he wasn't educated. He's got a PhD in philosophy. He's pretty educated. But the assumption that he's not because of the way he looks is prevalent. And as we think through the different people groups who are represented here in America, there are two things that we need to do. We need to be faithful to reach the people who are near us in this church and our personal ministries. And we need to be faithful to have a missions mindset that sends out people everywhere with no discrimination, with a heart to reach people for the gospel. But if our hearts aren't right here, our missions will always fall flat on its face. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to remember the gospel. If you have been convicted of anything as I've preached through this passage, bring it to the Lord. This passage ends with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. Think about that for a minute. As the waters cover the sea, it's impossible to be sea without water. It's everywhere. God is glorified in Jesus Christ, our Savior, as we come to him with our sin and believe that he is greater than our sin. And so as you and I are confronted with sin, we will glorify the Lord as we bring it to God. This morning, we are going to be celebrating communion. This is a very personal way where we remember that the body of our Lord was crucified and his blood was shed for you and for me so that we can have forgiveness for all of this sin and that we can walk in obedience. And I want to say as a word of application, too often we confess our sins, claim God's forgiveness, and then walk away with a life that's unchanged. But think about Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he not only experiences forgiveness of sins, he goes and makes restitution. 
And I believe that's something that I need to do. I need to continue to have conversations with, with people like Dr. Walker. I need to have more conversations with guys like my buddy Ernesto. And I am committed to pursuing those conversations, to looking my brothers in the face and sisters and saying, I think there's sin in my life here. And as I read the news and as I hear the news, I don't immediately just decide that my perception of it is reality. I walk with a brother or with a sister and say, what's your perception of this? What do you think? And we build each other up. And so for me, repentance means digging deeper into fellowship with people who are different than me, that I am not going to remain indifferent, that I am going to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters, and that I am going to actively pursue that in my life. And I want to challenge you to do the same, whether it means having an uncomfortable conversation with somebody at work or whether it means simply just praying for greater diversity within the church. I'll add, I've said so many positive things about Moody, and Moody is an incredible church that is racially diverse in the main service until you go to Sunday school. And then, not because of any intent, our desire is to be racially diverse and integrated. But as soon as Sunday school hour starts, the Sunday schools mysteriously segregate themselves. And so you have black Sunday schools and you have white Sunday schools. Moody Church loves diversity and integration, but they have room to grow here. The best church in many ways that I have been a part of has room to grow here. And I know that I do too. And so I want to encourage you to pray for greater diversity in the church, that that's where God's heart is. And I want to encourage you to pursue it. Be in prayer for me. And I did want to say this as well. We have a mosque that's like seven miles from here. Seven and a half, I think. There are people who have looked at that and and felt threatened and fearful and and maybe even angry. What I want to say, that should not be perceived as a threat. That should be perceived as diversity here in Holly. And we have a chance to tell people about Jesus who are now our neighbors. That should be perceived as a missions opportunity. And I want to encourage you, be in prayer for your brothers and sisters who are moving here from all over the world. Let's seek them. Let's seek to win them for Jesus Christ. As we close today, I want to close with the words of a hymn that's helpful to me. It's from the hymn Rock of Ages. And it's a reminder that all of us come to the cross for grace. The hymn writer says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. I want to urge you this morning to seek the shelter in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we are so grateful that you loved us and sent Jesus for us. Lord, I want to be faithful to confess my sins and we as a church want to be faithful to confess that we have not sought the diversity where your heart is. Lord, I pray that by your grace that would change and that 50 years from now this would be a turning point where you work grace in the church here in America And the church led the way of seeking your heart for diversity 
and for all people together to worship Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would bless us as we remember what Jesus did for us. And I pray that we would be glorifying to him, celebrating the forgiveness that we have in him. In Jesus' name, amen.